machine. Listeners, ha! I figured something out. And it's freaking me out a little. Well, not just a little, to be honest. Um, a lot. I went through the house, and as I wanted to go into the kitchen and ask Mr. Pidrit if he had seen Tim, I saw that the interior of the whole house had changed. I heard voices from the living room, and there were a bunch of people in 19th century clothing style drinking tea. Can you imagine? I came right back up to the attic. I might be going crazy, but if you ask me... Wait. Let me check something. Yes! Horses and carriages! Gentlemen with top hats, women with bustles, bonnets and corsets. I'm no historian, listeners. But, but, may the marble machine give me courage, listeners. I have somehow time-traveled to the 19th century, or somewhere around that time anyway. Well, sorry that I'm distracting you with my personal drama here. I will eat the last piece of the marble and let you all finish last month's story. The game continued. Bougie had to stuff as many marshmallows into his mouth as he could without spitting them back out and Nima dared to inhale from the next joint and keep the smoke in her lungs for a whole minute. Pia had to drink five shots of vodka. Then the bottle pointed to Max, the Lord of Robbers. Oof, I need some water, Pia said. None left, I think, Nima answered. We could go to the pond by the waterfall. Is that even drinking water? Squid asked. I drank it, and I'm still alive. Max, your turn. Truth or dare? Bougie asked. The Lord always dares. Well, then I dare the Lord to go into the woods all by himself with some empty beer bottles and bring back water for the rest of the robbers. Max looked into the pitch black woods and scoffed. That's a stupid dare. We could bring back way more water if we all go together. And we wanted to go for a swim anyway. You wanted to go for a swim, not us. We don't need more water than three bottles anyway. Or could it be that the Lord is too scared to go alone? Max got up, took a few steps toward the bushes, released himself of the beer in his bladder and said, The Lord's never too scared. Keep the camp safe while I'm gone, Professor Wax Candle. He picked up the three beer bottles and the others watched him disappear into the darkness. Whoa, I guess he dared, Bougie said. Uh, whose turn is it? He spun the bottle, but the alcohol and weed had taken its toll on Pia. She struggled to keep the world around her from spinning, and by the time it was her turn, she had already curled up in her blanket by the fire and fallen into a deep, drunken sleep. Nima got up and went to her tent. You two keep the fire going and stay with Pia, she said and came back with a tiny flashlight keychain. I'll go after Max and see if everything's all right. You sure you want to go alone? Bougie asked. I'll be fine. You guys take care of Pia, okay? She said, and then disappeared into the dark of the night. For a few minutes, Bougie and Squid just stared into the fire. So, uh, about your theory, Bougie said. The one about death. It's not my theory. Someone put it in my head. Yeah, yeah, whatever. So, according to the theory that someone put into your head, it's not a bad thing to die, right? No, I don't think so. It's uh, very much like sleeping. Like sleeping? Yes, like sleeping. Mm, where we come from before birth and where we go after we die feels like sleeping without dreaming. 
Uh-huh. Squid pressed his eyes together, trying to recall the theory the puppet master had put in his head. His words were more complicated than the ones Squid would use himself. Just like... You know how it always feels as if no time passes between going to sleep and waking up again? It's the same with death. No time passes for anybody that is between death and birth. Squid stared at the fire while Bougie looked at the shadows dancing on the passed out pier. Oh, and it's like a video game. Squid blurted out, remembering more of the theory. What? Life. You know, like the loading between the levels in a video game? Or when we shut off our computer and turn it back on again, it's like sleep and death to the characters. Um, we make them go to sleep all the time. Where did you get that from? Squid shrugged his shoulders and for a while the boys remained silent again. Well, then it would be like a cheat you unlocked, Bougie said. If you're right with your theory, I mean, your visions and all the receiving hints about how to make a certain future happen, that's like a character unlocking a cheat in a video game. Like you unlocked a cheat code for life. But what good would that cheat code be? I, I still get beaten up by bullies all the time. Still, you can prevent some things from happening. You said one of us could get killed, right? But because you made certain decisions, that's not going to happen. Squid nodded. But you don't believe that, Squid said. No one ever believed it. True, I don't believe you. But let's suppose it were true and life was a video game and you were saving us right now by predicting the future. Now that's a pretty cool cheat or skill for a character in a video game. Bougie looked at Pia, and inspired by Squid's video game theory, he wondered if he had such a cheat quality in him too. He knew he was smarter than most kids, but there was something in life that was always holding him back from implementing his most genius plans. He sympathized with Franz Moore from Schiller's play. Rules, laws, regulations, social constructs, and even religion. All that stuff prevented him from doing certain things. And in a way, it was good that it did, because you didn't want to be on the wrong side of the law, right? But if it were all just a video game, it didn't really matter, did it? To be on the wrong side in a video game was fun. It was fun to do the things that were against the law in a virtual world. At least, that's what he enjoyed in a good open-world PC game. So if life was just that, could he have more fun? Could he be more successful? If he stopped obeying the rules that interfered with his plans, he looked at Pia again. How long do you think Max and Nima will be gone for? He asked Squid without looking at him. Probably back soon? Unless they make out by the lake? You think? No, I know. If this was a horror movie, they'd be goners, Bougie said. But it's not, Squid reminded him. Exactly, it's not. In our game, Max gets the girl by the waterfall. He always does. I bet anything they're making out right now as we speak. Bougie looked grim. The unfairness of life weighed on every cell in his body. How can people like him get what they want if people like Max don't have to do anything and get everything all the time? In a world without rules or laws, who would win, huh? Um, the strongest? Not if the strongest is still bound to some sort of inner moral or ethics. I say the most ruthless would win. Let's pretend for a second right here, right now, that there are no rules. Just for a minute. Look at us two innocent boys here next to the sleeping girl. He pointed over at Pia. Ever kissed a girl? No. 
You? Once, but she slapped me good for it. We could kiss Pia now, and she wouldn't even know. Look at her. Way too drunk. She would never remember. She could... She could wake up. Squid argued. Not a chance. Look, Bougie poked her and shook her shoulders. But no, it wouldn't be right. Before whom? No one would know but us. Bougie sat down next to Pia and turned her around on her back and took the blanket away from her chest. Her shirt revealed the shape of two peach-sized breasts. He looked at Squid for affirmation. You knew this was going to happen, didn't you? Squid shook his head. Yes, you did, Witcher. Don't lie. Bougie slid his hand under her shirt and felt the soft skin of her breasts. Pia moved, and he quickly pulled back his hand. Your turn. Squid shook his head. Come on. Squid came closer and copied what Bougie did. They both had one hand underneath her shirt now. Bougie leaned over and put his lips on hers. Now you. Squid did as Professor Wax Candle told him to, but then a noise from the woods made them stop in their tracks. Bougie quickly turned Pia on her side again, while Squid held a stick into the fire, pretending to roast marshmallows. Nima was almost by the waterfall when her flashlight died. She stood still for a moment, waiting for her eyes to adjust to the darkness. The path to the pond was one of her favorite places in the forest. It had a peaceful warmth to it, and the closer one got, the better one could hear the soft trickle of the waterfall. On a sunny day, the display of sun rays on the water looked like a divine dance of fairies. But now, the shadows swallowed every bit of warmth, creating the countless ever-changing shapes and forms that belonged to the realm of night. To Nima, the pond looked like a giant puddle of ink. Max! Nima whispered. Nothing. Max! She kept walking when something moved in the bushes next to her. She took out her knife. Hello? She asked, almost certain that she had heard footsteps to her right. Then someone laid his hand on her left shoulder. Queen of robbers? Max said, carrying the water in his hands. You scared me a little. You did too, she gasped. I almost stabbed you. Did, did you just circle me? Did I what? Why would I do that? Never mind, I thought I heard something in the woods. Should we go swimming before we go back? Max reached out his arm and Nima took his hand as their eyes met in the moonshine. What did I tell you? Bougie muttered to Squid as Nima and Max returned, chuckling with their hair still wet. Did you guys fall into the lake? We went swimming, Max said, withholding that they had done so naked and then kissed underwater. I'm tired, Squid lied. You can sleep in my tent, Nima said. Maybe we should all get some sleep. You go ahead and sleep, Queen of Rubbers. I'll be keeping the camp safe with Professor Wax Candle. Nima gave them her knife for whoever would be assigned ground watch, and then she and Squid carried Pia off to the bigger tent. In three hours we can change shift, Nima called. Max kept the knife and stayed on the ground while Bougie volunteered to stay up on the tree by the booby trap. Well, we can switch halfway, Max suggested. Three hours on the tree might be tough. Don't fall asleep. Bougie climbed the tree and watched Max take his position. He barely saw him give the thumbs up in the darkness, but it was enough to see that he stood exactly where the rock would hit, if Bougie were to let it go. A voice in his head was reconsidering Squid's video game theory. If ethics and morals were obsolete, and rules and laws just illusions in a virtual video game world, would he have to have a guilty conscience for harming another person? 
What if the person was his best friend? Would he have a guilty conscience? Not if it didn't matter in the end anyway, right? If life was just a big game, the right question to ask was, would he benefit from killing a friend? Could he tell others that he had seen a robber or convince them that Max had shouted and that he had let go of the rock by accident? Would everybody hate him if Max was dead? Technically, he wouldn't be dead, would he? Just out of the game. Probably already born again in some other part of the world as another player in some other storyline. With Max out of the equation, Bougie could become the hero of his storyline. He could become the Lord of Robbers that saved them all from the enemy's attack. Not if there wasn't a real threat, though. If there weren't any real robbers, they would all blame him for the tragedy. But if there were real robbers... Bougie looked at the rock. He knew he would never actually do it. But then again, if you didn't think about the consequences, it was just a little movement with one's hand. A slight push. He watched with one eye closed and saw Max stand there on the ground. When he switched to the other eye, Max's silhouette disappeared completely behind the rock. With Max gone, he might even find a way to make Nima fall in love with him. In Schiller's play, Franz Moore tried to get his brother's girl to love him too, but that hadn't worked out very well for any of the characters in the end. Then another thought occurred to him. Squid. Had he really known all this would happen? Was there another version of the future in which he would really kill his friend? Or maybe he wouldn't sit on the tree in another future and someone else would let the rock do its job? Hey! Max shouted. Who's there? Bougie burst out of his fantasy and almost fell from the tree. He saw the knife blade flash in the moonlight as his best friend pulled it out from his belt. The sudden rush of adrenaline made Bougie shiver. Someone was standing in the bushes by Nima's tent. Following Max's stare, he could make out the silhouette of the intruder. The enemy was real. Max had shouted. No one could blame him now if he... Terrified of himself, he dared not continue the thought. But another part of him made his body shift over the thick branch and move closer to the rock. I see you, Max shouted, and left the spot where the rock could harm him. Uji, someone's hiding in the bushes. A voice shouted, and a figure charged from the thicket and wrestled Max to the ground. Max let go of the knife to get a better hold of the attacker. He twisted his body and managed to shake him off. They both scrambled back to a standing position, and the moonlight revealed the attacker's face. Marky? What the hell are you doing here? This is not about us, Kramer. This is between me and the little bitch. What? You know who I mean. I saw you kissing her. You're crazy. Like I said, it's not about us, Kramer. Just move out the way. I won't hurt her. Just make her remember never to. Shut up, Marky. If you have a problem with Nima, you have a problem with me. Move, Kramer. Don't be silly, Marky. I'm stronger than you. Whatever it is you wanted to do to her, it's not going to happen. Go home. Marky saw the blade on the floor, about a foot length away from his feet. He pretended to turn away and then dove for the knife. You go home, Marky said, slowly getting up and pointing the knife at Max. Drop the knife, Marky. Not going to happen. They both tried to read off each other's movements, slowly moving back to where the rock would strike. They circled each other like two wild animals. Marky pounced, but Max managed to avoid the attack. He spun around and grabbed Marky's back. There was a deep thud as a sudden force catapulted Max off the ground and sent him flying into the dirt. Max checked himself, but he didn't seem to be hurt. That strength couldn't have come from Marky. 
When he turned to get up, he saw Marky's body lying next to him. His chin, nose, and neck were dented into one flattened, bloody mess. Hey! Nima shouted, coming out of her tent. What's going on? Squid was wiping his glasses behind her and then followed. They joined Max, who was still looking at the motionless body next to him. Uh, I think Bougie just killed Marky. Bougie watched all this from the tree. His mind was racing. Would they know who he had aimed for? Squid might, he thought. They were fighting. Marky had the knife. Bougie defended himself as he climbed down to meet the others. A silence grasped hold of the whole world as they gathered around the body. Somehow, it didn't seem real. As if someone would jump out from behind a curtain and reveal that it was all just a huge joke. Bougie's whisper broke the silence. What now? You heard me shout, Max said. Why'd you throw the rock? What do you mean, why? Be- because you shouted. I- he-, he had the knife. It was Marky, not, not some killer. Nima knelt down to inspect the body stretched out on the damp earth, her look blank. If she had any emotions at all, her face didn't show them. She put her fingers on Marky's neck. I don't feel a pulse. She stood up and turned to the boys. In the moonlight, her shadow towered over Marky's crumpled body. Her eyes focused on Squid with that same impenetrable look that Max had seen when he had asked her about her father a few hours ago. Her whole being seemed strangely separated from the rest of the group. Squid, she said, sounding like a teacher giving a lecture to a little kid. What? Did you know this was going to happen? I, no, no. Did you know? No, I didn't. I, I swear I didn't. Good. She turned to Bougie. Why? What? Why did you do it? I, I wanted to save Max. Bougie said quickly. Good, she said and turned to Max. We have two options. We call the police and get into trouble. Real trouble, all of us. Or, Max asked. Or we agree that we are never here. Nima left and returned with the bottle of gasoline. Pia threw up when they woke her and again when they showed her the body. She mumbled that they had to call the police, but she was still too drunk to argue, let alone stand up straight. Nima reached out one hand. We don't have to speak it out loud. We'll do it in silence. But we have to swear never to speak about this to anyone. Hands on my hand. Slowly, one by one, the others joined. Everyone but Pia. Pia, please, Bougie whispered. I don't want to go to jail. Pia hesitated, but then her hands touched the others. Nima told them to gather their stuff. The tents, the sleeping bags, the food provisions, and everything that looked like they had spent time in the forest. They dug a ditch in the dirt and threw it all in. Nima emptied the gasoline into the ditch. Guys, Max said. What? Max was beside Marky's body and picked something up from the ground. He must have found it when he followed us, he said and showed them his zippo. They gathered around the ditch and Max lit the zippo and threw it into the burning ditch. Everybody flinched as the gas in the zippo exploded and a flame shot up. Squid held out his arms right and left and closed his eyes. Nima stood to his left and took his hand. Bougie to his right did the same, and the others joined. Standing there, holding hands, everyone remembered Squid's vision and what he had seen about a future in which none of them died that night. In that moment, they all felt as if everything up to this very moment had been staged by some invisible puppet master, and that it had never been in their hands to change anything. Finally, and for the first time in his life, Squid felt understood 
He felt like these were his true friends. But the puppet master had already told him that it wasn't going to be a feeling that would last very long. Nima thought about Max as she looked at the flames, how unreachable he had seemed to her, and how her heart had stopped beating when they kissed. It seemed the most unimportant thing to her now. She looked at Squid, who was looking right back at her. Bougie and Max watched the fire burn down to ashes, and they both knew that their friendship would end tonight. Let's go, Nima said and led the way. We, we can't just leave him here, Pia said, but no one answered her. As they left the forest, Squid unzipped his fanny pack and threw away the old puppet strings he had kept there. Marky just lay there on the ground. He couldn't move or feel his body, but he still felt a merciless cold, and he knew that nothing he could do would make it go away. He had been left alone, forgotten by the world forever. Welcome back, listeners. I don't know what I am more excited about, the dramatic end of the Puppet Master, or that I'm stuck alone in the 19th century. Well, I did some thinking and have come to the conclusion that this is no accident. The marble machine said that it had a mission for me. I guess this can't be a coincidence. I will go down into the living room at once and clear matters with the people living here now. I hope they know something. Meanwhile, please stay as supportive as you've always been. Visit our website and tell friends about us. Spread the word or even become a patron if you like at patreon.com slash themarblemachine. And as always, rest assured that the next marble will drop. I hope...